everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. We're here with just the zoo of us. It's your favorite animal review podcast. And I'm really excited to be here talking with my favorite dude. <gasps> is it me? Yeah, it's you. Yay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just excited to have you here to talk with me today. Happy to be here, Ellen, right here in our house. <laughs> yeah. We are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research to make sure that we are giving you guys really good, trustworthy, reliable information. In each episode, we take your favorite species of animals and we review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We take requests, so if you have an animal you'd like to hear us talk about, get those to us on social media or by email or however you feel like getting a hold of us. Yell it at us on the street. Yeah, track us down. If you find us in the 14 seconds we spend outside of our home <laughs> on the average a week. <laughs> Catch me slinking from Whole Foods to the car. Then <laughs> you can just yell an animal at us and I'm sure we'll figure out what you mean. <laughs> pigeon. Pigeon. <laughs> I've already done the pigeon. Oh, okay. Commentary. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's actually how you can also submit reviews of the podcast to us. You could just yell it at us. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> It'll make me feel good, too. Yeah, I would love that, actually. Just some, like, daily uh, motivation. From a street stranger. Yeah, that would feel so good. Yeah. That's enough banter. And now... <laughs> and now a podcast. Something else. <laughs> <laughs> Let's podcast now. So, babe, what did you bring for the listeners this week? I brought this for one specific listener, pretty much. Okay. I finally caved after coming up on two years of wearing me down this week. I am reviewing the sea otter. Excellent. This was submitted by Bo Rouch. Thank you, Bo. The scientific name for this animal is Enhydra lutris. It's a cool name, I think. Is that Hydra I heard in there? Yeah. Enhydra is the genus name. Okay. Like H-Y-D-R-A. Like, I think that's a... I think that's an Avenger thing. It is the criminal unit <laughs> mm -hmm. in Captain America. In Captain America, that's an Avenger. Yes, right. That's one of the. That's one of the guys. Arguably the the Avenger, the first Avenger, I okay. believe, is what that movie title is. Please, please don't say <laughs> anything that is even vaguely arguable about any Marvel property, <laughs> because I don't know anything about Marvel, and I don't want to have to field those mentions. Well, that actually makes sense that they're a criminal organization because sea otters as well are criminal organizations. How dare you? <laughs> I'm getting my information on sea otters from the Monterey Bay Aquarium, the Oregon Coast Aquarium, and the Marine Bio Conservation Society. And the ocean police, it and sounds like. And the ocean police, yes. The sea cops. <laughs> uh, if you don't know very much about sea otters, they're about four feet long which is 1.2 meters for those of you who use the metric system. Four feet long makes them actually the world's smallest marine mammal, like fully hmm. aquatic marine mammal. I didn't know that, but it makes sense. Right? Yeah. So most of the other marine mammals are like cetaceans. So like your whales and dolphins. Mm -hmm. And then you've got like seals and manatees, stuff like that. Those are all pretty big dudes. Yeah. These are not that big. They're only about four feet long. Now they're found in coastal areas throughout the northern Pacific Ocean. So along the coasts, particularly of North America and Eastern Asia. Most of them in North America, you'll find them in Alaska. 
And then in East Asia, you'll find them in Japan, like in the coastal waters off of Japan, mostly. Now, within those areas, there are these three different subspecies of sea otters. So you've got northern sea otters that are up in Alaska in like the Washington area. And then you've got southern sea otters in like the southern California, even a little bit into northern Mexico and like the Baja Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Asian sea otters um, that are in the whole Japan, Russia, Eastern Asia area. And so within those subspecies, there are some slight differences between them. So some facial differences and also size differences. So like the southern sea otters are much smaller than the other ones. Oh. And then the northern ones are, are big and chunky. Makes sense. Yeah. I wonder why no love for the Atlantic Ocean with the sea otters. I mean, they probably just... If they started in the northern Pacific Ocean, Mm -hmm. there was never really any opportunity for them to get over into the Atlantic Ocean, except for maybe before Central America, like, bridged over, Mm. you know? Like, if they had made it through at that point, then maybe. But I don't know at what point in natural history sea otters evolved. So I would imagine maybe they evolved after that area had already been filled in by Central America, and they just didn't have any sort of water crossings, right? Because the only other way they would have been able to get into the Atlantic Ocean would be to go like around the southern tip of South America. And I think it probably just was too warm for them to get that far, like close to the equator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking it would be too cold to get that far south of South America, but they would first have to go across the equator. To get yeah, <laughs> it would actually be the opposite. Like the warmth would be the bigger problem yeah. for them because they're built for cold. Okay. So it, they would have to get through that like hot equatorial region first. I, I don't think they would really bother. Hmm. Otters belong to the taxonomic family called mustelids. We've talked about them before. These are carnivorous mammals. These include weasels, badgers, ferrets and wolverines so wolverines i've talked about before Mm -hmm. um very feisty (laughs) Mm -hmm. powerful little they're they're small long boys sausage shaped kind of the corgis of the uh mammal world um there are 13 species of otters and the sea otter is not the biggest of them there is a giant river otter that lives in i think south america these are the ones that are actually at our zoo, right? Yeah, they're huge. Huh. They're called giant otters because they're just enormous. Hmm. But sea otters are, I mean, they're pretty big, but some of them are really little. It's really cute. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of an introduction to sea otters. Uh, this brings us to ratings. I'm going to start with effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptation. So let an animal do a good job of the things it's trying to do. I'm going to give the sea otter an 8 out of 10 okay. for effectiveness. They're doing good. So first up, I want to talk about their fluff, Mm. their fur. So most other marine mammals, right? You're thinking of the ones that I mentioned earlier, like cetaceans and seals and stuff like that. Most of them keep themselves warm in cold water with layers of blubber. So they'll have this like smooth skin without any real like visible hair or anything like that. And then just bolt up with fat underneath that to keep them warm. The sea otter doesn't have that. It doesn't have those layers of blubber underneath its skin. So instead it has this fluffy coat of fur. The fur on the sea otter is the densest fur in the world. It's the densest hair out of any animal. More than a million hairs per square inch. Wow. Yeah. So for context, we have about 100,000 hairs on our whole head. 
And they're packing more than a million in a square inch. Yeah, so it's extremely dense. So the fur is made up of these two layers. So the layer closest to the body is like a soft, fluffy, downy sort of under fur. And it acts as insulation. So it has lots of air gaps in it because of how fluffy it is. And that sort of traps warmth close to their body. Keeps them from losing heat to the air. And it also traps in air bubbles that help the otter float. So it actually kind of keeps them buoyant by like keeping that air close to their body. And then on top of that fur is an outer layer made of waterproof guard hairs that keep the otter dry. So all of that keeps the water from getting to that fluffy inner layer. So it's it's pretty neat. I will say that I did kind of dock them a point because since their temperature regulation is linked to the maintenance of their hair, if something happens to their hair, like if there's like an oil spill or something like that that damages like the the coating on their fur, then they get hypothermia. Like it's it's a lot to maintain. Whereas like the other marine mammals, they're just slapping on underneath their skin. They're like, nothing's going to happen to this. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's part of my body. I'm carrying it around with me wherever I go. I imagine the trait of its fur is also what made it valued in the fur trade. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it did unfortunately work against them. I couldn't dock them a point for that because it's yeah, not their yeah, fault. For sure. It's like docking a point for being tasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give them, like, I can't fault them for that because that's our fault. Right. Um, but yeah, it did kind of work against them in the sense that it, it kind of put a target on their back, basically. Sure. Otters do dive underwater to find their food. This is really cool. They can close up their nostrils and their ears to keep water out of them. Very jealous of that. Do you have this problem a lot? <laughs> I hate getting water stuck in my ears. Oh, it's in there for days afterwards, isn't it? I hate it. It's the worst. So otters don't have that problem. They can just just shut them right on out. <laughs> they also have sensitive whiskers on their nose and muzzle that helps them feel around for food even when the water is murky. Aww. Yeah. So even when uh, there's lots of gunk and sediment in the water, they can still essentially like perceive their environment because they've got these sensitive whiskers. So what are the kind of things that it's trying to perceive? Thanks for asking, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> they mostly eat invertebrates. So things like clams, mussels crabs mm-hmm. stuff like that not as much fish more so like the more invertebrate sort of things they like to like grab them and crack them open and like get their shell open and eat up the tasty meat inside i know you're nodding like i know that that is a shared uh passion between you and the sea <laughs> otter <laughs> So with the otter, their their paws are kind of interesting because their back paws have adapted to become really long and webbed and kind of like shut together. Imagine like the flippers that a scuba diver wears, mm-hmm. you know, like they're big and kind of broad and paddle shaped. So that's great for swimming, but on land, they don't normally have to come on land, but like sometimes they come on land. On land though, those flippers kind of turn into clown shoes. <laughs> like it's a total drag for them. Like they cannot get around at all because those big, like it's kind of like like a scoot hop sort it's of like thing. A large inchworm type of movement. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very clumsy. So th- they almost never do go on land, but they can. It's like they need to rest or if there's like a large marine predator that they need to get away from, they can get on land if they need to they can like theoretically go their whole life without ever going on the land but it's like sometimes they do just Mm -hmm. if they need to and my last sort of like point for their effectiveness and this is speaking as a woman who has often had to shop for clothing that is marketed towards women something that i really appreciate about the sea otter is that it has pockets Mm -hmm. so their skin is like 
it's like there's too much skin on their body. Like they made the sea otters skin in like a couple sizes too big so that it's really baggy, <laughs> especially underneath their forearms. There are these like flaps of skin that make these pockets. Mm-hmm. So they use these little pockets under their arms to stash things. So like they'll go dive underwater. Maybe they find like a whole bunch of crabs or a whole bunch of mussels or something like that. And they're like, "Ooh, yes. And they stash them up underneath their armpits and then they can keep foraging. So they can like grab a ton of stuff without having to like cram it all in their mouth or something like that. Um, so it really increases their, uh, their carrying capacity. Really, <laughs> It increases their max carry weight, which is great. They got a little bag of holding right underneath their, <laughs> little armpit (laughs) and they also use this pocket to stash rocks which brings us to ingenuity yeah really excited about this (laughs) i'm really trying not to i know please don't spoil it i know (laughs) you know what it is i know what it is a lot of people listening probably know what it is but it's okay Ingenuity for us is the category of behavioral adaptations that let an animal do a good job solving problems that it faces on a daily basis. I give them a nine out of 10 for ingenuity. So since otters have these front paws instead of fins like other marine mammals, right? So like think of like a dolphin, Mm -hmm. their front sort of appendages are these flippers. They don't have any digits or anything like that. An otter, however, has paws with little toes on it. So this gives them much better dexterity to do things like pick up rocks, which then they use as tools to do other stuff. Mm. So they might use rocks as a tool to break open a crab's shell or like pry open a mussel or even like if there's something they really like is these like muscle things called abalone and they like to stick onto the sides of like rocks and stuff and the otter could take a little rock and just like kind of sledgehammer it right off of the side <laughs> so you know that's tool use right there right yeah. like that's really impressive love to see it love to see a good tool use you know I, I didn't know an abalone was a thing until the most recent animal crossing game. animal crossing did so much for abalone's publicity <laughs> I, there are so many animals I had never heard of until I played Animal Crossing. And this is one of them, but um, it's apparently a very special treat for otters. Aww. So they use rocks to chisel them off of the side. You may have heard a fun fact floating around. I'm sure a lot of people have heard it by now, but if you haven't heard, you're in for a real treat here. Sea otters have a favorite rock, Mm. (laughs) which is important for them because if they have a particular rock that is really, really good at cracking shells open, then they're like, oh my gosh, this particular one rules. It's like, you know, you have like your craftsman hammer or whatever like that. You're like, this is a really good one. You know this one to be successful. So they stash it under that little, in that little armpit pocket and they just kind of carry it around with them so that if they need it later, then they're like, oh, I have the perfect thing for this and they get it out of their little purse so smart i know it's like it's not just like using what you have in the moment but it's planning ahead for the future right you'd be like oh i know that later on i'm gonna need a rock to get a clam off of a reef or something like that so i'm just gonna stash this away for later (laughs) very clever little dudes they do a couple of other interesting things that i wanted to give them some ingenuity uh props for 
Um, so in order to keep their outer layer of fur waterproof, they actually have to spread oils over their skin. Um, and they do this by grooming, which both spreads that waterproof oil over their outer fur. And it also fluffs up their undercoat mm. um, and makes sure to like aerate it and get lots of bubbles in there and keep them nice and warm. So they actually spend hours and hours a day grooming themselves and grooming each other. And just grooming is like an important part of the sea otter's day. Actually, this is similar to what I talked about when I talked about emperor penguins. Mm. You remember that? It's kind of so. they have to like preen their feathers to spread this oil that keeps the the water out. It's a similar concept. Okay. So sea otters are really social and they like to live together in groups called Are you ready for this? Yeah. Rafts. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Yeah. And it's so funny because they clump up together and they're all floating on their backs and they look like little logs. Mm-hmm. All And it looks like a raft. Like if you took a bunch of logs and bundled them all up together and floated <laughs> them on the water, that's what they look like. It's a great name. They separate themselves by the sex of the animal. So males group up with other males and females group up with other females, except for the purposes of mating, of course. They'll intermingle for that. Babies. Yeah, and the babies will stay with the mama. They stay on her little belly. It's really cute. This is like the opposite of myth busting, where it's like a fun fact that floats around, and this is like confirmation. Yeah. They do hold hands while they're sleeping. They do it to keep their raft together, you know, since they're floating on ocean currents. While they're sleeping or, or resting or just not actively swimming around, they do hold hands so that their raft can stay together. How sweet. I know. It's really adorable. And the last thing I wanted to say for ingenuity is something that I hadn't really thought about, but it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Sea otters have this type of relationship. It's a type of a symbiotic relationship called mutualistic relationship Hmm. with kelp. Oh, okay. Um, You don't usually hear this, I think, referred to like an animal plant sort of friendship, but sea otters and kelp are mutualistic. Sea otters don't eat kelp, right? They're carnivores. They don't eat it at all right but the kelp provides the otter with cover from larger predators Hmm. so the sea otters will like hide in the kelp forest Mm -hmm. if you've ever seen like a kelp forest it's really cool it's very dramatic they also this i love this so much get ready this is great yeah sea otters will get up in the kelp and they'll spin and wrap themselves up in kelp (laughs) <laughs> they wrap themselves in kelp as an anchor to keep them from drifting away in the currents. Aww. How great is that? Pretty good. Yeah, so they're like using the, the kelp to their advantage. And then in return, sea otters eat things that eat kelp. Yes. So they eat sea urchins. Uh-huh. They eat other invertebrates like that that keeps the kelp forest growing and thriving. And the sea urchin one is an important one. It's right? really important. Because of how quickly those can overpopulate an area and mm-hmm. just decimate kelp forests. Yeah, <laughs> it can be really bad. So, you know, you, you would see this happen in areas where like sea otters were hunted heavily. Right. Once the sea otters went away, all of a sudden the sea urchin population boomed and the kelp forest went away. You know, it's an important lesson in why biodiversity matters you know every link in the food web is important so um, they they're all in a balanced relationship there the final category for sea otters is aesthetics give them like a four maybe a five out of of ten no (laughs) i was kidding (laughs) (laughs) my my brain took a second there it's like yeah yeah no i I could see the (laughs) I can see the gears turning for a second. Was this like, was out of 10, right? No, 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 no. I can no. see your brain just like blue screen for a second. You just 
Christian.exe is stuff. <laughs> no, this is like a nine, nine out of ten. They're so cute, so soft, so fluffy. The only thing I can really dock them for is their clown shoes. Like the, the big floppy feet. I don't it looks goofy to me. It's silly. It's cute. I mean, the front paws are cute. The back paws are kind of weird. That's all I can dock them for, though. Everything about them is great. Okay. Um, here is where I would like to acknowledge that they have been documented committing heinous crimes. Yeah. I won't go into detail about that. Okay. Because this is a family-friendly podcast, and the details of those crimes are not family-friendly at all. So you are free to seek those out on your own time, if you would so choose. If you feel like you like otters a little bit too much, and you want to maybe temper that, <laughs> like you want to like spice it up with a little bit of disgust, throw some some contempt in the mix. Um, if you really want to complicate your feelings towards sea otters, they've done some horrible, horrible things. They're horrible monsters. They really are. They're so cute, though. <laughs> <laughs> Is it similar to the crimes committed by dolphins? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Along the same line. Great. Mammals are up to some bad stuff in the in the ocean <laughs> it's all the salt it's a free-for-all <laughs> it really is it's a disaster out there yeah we have experienced firsthand the cuteness of a sea otter you yes. and i personally have do you want to share that story yes so gosh how long ago was this now this was like 2016 i think yeah so, Good five years ago yeah so i guess something to know about us is we're together yes we are married and prior to that we were dating pre the dark times, <laughs> so before the pandemic, mm -hmm. we would usually make a yearly visit to Atlanta, specifically the aquarium. The Georgia Aquarium. Yes, the Georgia Aquarium. Sometimes we would do other things while we we're there, but usually the Georgia Aquarium was always the, the common denominator. So one year, I think, did I surprise you with this? Mm -hmm. Yes, It was I did. a surprise. I surprised Ellen with a special event. So we went to the aquarium. She, she knew we were doing that. Um, I, I don't think I can bring Ellen into Atlanta without going to the aquarium. <laughs> You've I, tried. <laughs> I surprised her with a special behind-the-scenes experience with their sea otters. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. Um, we got to get somewhat close. There was still a plexiglass between us and the otters at any given time, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, But we got to see them do things like feed them snacks like through holes in that plexiglass, uh, like clam sickles and shrimp, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I did not do that they they gave you the option of like they would give you a little like clam sickle and you could like give it to the otter and i didn't do that because that's gross <laughs> but part of the encounter mm -hmm. was they had these little circular holes in the plexiglass where like for training the sea otter for you know the regular zookeeping stuff you have to do with the otter to like check on them and see how they're doing mm -hmm. the person would hold their hand up to one of the holes and like give a signal and the sea otter would just press their nose right up against <laughs> your little hand you remember this yes and they would let us do it so they <laughs> would give the little signal and the little sea otter would stick their nose out and you just boop <laughs> you could just touch their little nose i think we got to touch their paw too that sounds right yeah i think they would stick their little paw out and you could just touch their little hand mm -hmm. and it was Oh, so choice. It was extremely good. That's fun. You just, you boop. It was so sweet. So yeah, that was fun. And then next time uh, we have to go swim with the whale sharks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I yeah. let me do this by myself. I will totally attempt to do that without having a panic attack. <laughs> oh, and they did. They had like a sample of like sea otter pelt. 
there that they would like let us touch. Do you remember that? Maybe that sounds right. I remember it being like luxuriously soft. Yeah. This is not to glorify like sea otter fur. Don't hunt sea otters for their fur. That's super illegal. You're not allowed to do that. Um, And for good reason. The sea otter's conservation status is endangered. As I mentioned earlier, sea otters were hunted for their fur nearly to extinction. Um, There were some pockets of those like subspecies populations that were thought to have just been completely gone until some folks found like these isolated pockets. Like there was this raft of like 300 otters out in like the middle of the sea that was just out there thriving um, Mm. that people didn't know about. So they were hunted for their fur throughout the kind of the 18th and 19th centuries. And then legal protection uh, allowed their numbers to recover quite a bit. Um, They're still facing a lot of threats, though, even though it's now endangered to hunt them. They're covered by the Endangered Species Act, but there's still a lot of things that can threaten them, as with a lot of animals that live in the ocean. A big concern for them is oil spills. Mm -hmm. So oil spills in the ocean, like I said earlier, that can mess up their fur and cause it to lose that sort of waterproof quality, which then means that water can permeate that outer layer of fur, get into their undercoat, and then cause them to get hypothermia. They can freeze. Another thing in the ocean that can really mess them up is pollution. Mm -hmm. So things like fishing nets, you know, any sort of plastic trash that's out there, uh, otters can get tangled up in them and then they can't swim and then they could drown. So not looking good out there. And this other thing that I hadn't really heard or really thought about is that we're hearing a lot about like declining numbers of a lot of different like fish and just a lot of by we're losing a lot of biodiversity in the ocean. So what's interesting about that is that as these fish are losing population, you're getting declining numbers of these prey species for larger predators, right? So as there's fewer fish, there's fewer prey available for larger predators like orcas and sharks. Mm. So when orcas and sharks don't have as much to prey on, they have to look elsewhere like otters. So otters can kind of become more prevalent targets for these larger predators and be at higher risk because of the declining biodiversity. Mm. So you're seeing more and more orcas eating otters because they don't have that much else to eat. So yeah, there's a lot of threats um, that otters are looking at right now. Any sort of action items I could leave people with are just to be conscientious of, you know, ocean pollution, do what you can to reduce pollution, reduce plastic waste, things like that. I mean, otters are great. If you love otters, that is a great sort of incentive for you to look into ways that you can participate in good ocean stewardship. It's a great, uh, great sort of flagship species for ocean conservation because they are so cute, you know? They are. They're adorable and charismatic and they make you want to care about them. And then caring about them makes you care about the ocean, which then, you know, can just have this whole sort of rippling beneficial effect so great place to start if you're looking to get uh more interested in sort of marine conservation for sure yeah and that's what i have on the sea otter well thanks babe that was very good of course thank you hey y'all real quick moment before we move on to our next animal for two little housekeeping notes the first is that our 100th episode is coming up really soon and we are going to be doing an ask me anything episode so if you have questions for us you'd like answered please send those to us you can get them to us either by message on social media or you can email them to me my email address is ellen at just the zoo of us.com and the second thing is a thank you to our patrons on patreon 
Patreon who support us and keep the show going. So this week, I'd like to extend our warmest gratitude to Diane Clare, the Mad Scientist Podcast, Randall Beeman, Britt Vickstrom, Jacob Schick, Sarah Peterson, Dalton Weeks, Bren Everfolly, April Kamik, Vikram Baliga, Julie Gilson, Paul Chomo, Christina Sanders, and Brianna Feinberg. Thank you all so much. So, Christian, what animal do you have today? I'm bringing the greater blue-ringed octopus. Scientific name, Hapiloclina lunulata. Lunulata? Yes. That is gorgeous. That sounds like a Pokemon name, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily a species, but in general, the blue-ringed octopus was requested by Erica Carr and Megan Inez Clark. Thank you both. And perhaps others. It's getting difficult nowadays to keep track of all that. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Um, so that that was what was requested, but that actually refers to a genus. Oh. Yes. There's lots of these? Not much. Uh, just four species. That's more than I thought there was, yeah. which is one. Right. So I just picked one. Sure. I'll be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web and the Aquarium of the Pacific website, aquariumofthepacific.org. Beautiful. Yes. Take us away. So first, to describe what they are, first octopus we're talking about, I believe. Yeah, I, we've not done an octopus yet. Yeah, but not the first cephalopod. We talked about the cuttlefish prior. I think the cuttlefish was the one that knocked out the blue ring octopus Probably. in the yeah, pool. Yeah, it might have. So it's a small octopus. Its base color is usually a tannish yellow, and it has these like electric blue rings on it. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, where it gets their name. I feel like the blue of the rings makes the yellow pop a yeah, lot more. It does. So to just describe anatomy of an octopus real quick, eight arms, I guess in squid it's called a mantle. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's the same word for octopus, but they have a big kind of bulbous head with two large eyes and they have a beak and a mouth that is on the underside where their legs all meet in the center. It's like a starfish if you like clunked a water balloon on the back. <laughs> sure. Um, now I mentioned they're small. They are, at adult size, 10 to 100 grams. Ooh. <laughs> to put that in context, two AA alkaline batteries is around 50 grams. <laughs> batteries. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and they're usually less than five centimeters or about two inches long or seven centimeters or 2.8 inches long with their arms extended. They're little dudes. Not the smallest octopus, but pretty small. When you said with their arms extended, I had a cute little <laughs> mental image of <laughs> <laughs> one just going like, wee, like stretching all of its arms out. It's very yeah. cute in my head. So the greater part of its common name comes from the size of its blue rings rather than its overall size. Oh, really? Yes. So oh, it has okay. larger blue rings than others of the genus. And also just a subtle dunk on all the other <laughs> blue yeah. ringed octopus. Yeah. The good one. <laughs> oh, companies coming over. Get out the greater blue ring octopus. <laughs> the great value octopus. <laughs> the Kirkland. <laughs> blue ring octopus. Don't dunk on Kirklands, though. I love Kirkland. Before I go any further, let's talk about the plural of octopus. Please. <laughs> I'm dying to hear it. There are three, according to Merriam-Webster. Like three valid yes. options? Yes. Okay. Octopi. Love it. Octopuses. I don't like that one. And finally, octopodes. Octopodes? Also sometimes pronounced octopodes. 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 Oct yes. Octopodes. 
in that order, it is the Latin ending and the English ending and the Greek ending based on those languages and how they do plural nouns. This reminds me of, I think I went over something similar to this with the platypus. Mm -hmm. How like that ending, the puss ending is from the Greek word for feet. So Mm -hmm. like in Latin, you take the U.S. ending and turn it into an I when it's plural. But this doesn't come from Latin. It comes from Greek. So like if you're going to use the Greek ending because it's from a Greek word, you use the podes or podes or whatever. Right. And the pronunciation is really just a, if you want to go hardcore and pronounce it like the Greek language would pronounce it. Sure. <laughs> I, I hate octopuses, though. That's the worst one. Well, unfortunately, um, that's the one I'll be going with. Oh, no. <laughs> Man. So those first two are the more common ones. I get that like octopuses is more consistent with like English grammar. Yes. But gosh, it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sound good does it and it's been a hotly debated thing for a few centuries it seems like mm-hmm. i know please don't come <laughs> please do not come at me with well actually it's octopus don't i'm gonna i'm gonna delete it <laughs> so moving on where you'll find these little guys are the coasts of northern australia and tropic western pacific ocean at depths of 0 to 22 meters or 0 to 66 feet in shallow coral reefs tide pools and such Uh Uh-oh. Yes. That's awful close to human. Yeah, we're talking about beach environments here. Mm -hmm. Starting with effectiveness, I'm giving a 9 out of 10. Nice. Yes. So first up is the color and texture changing capabilities that most octopuses have. Texture changing too, huh? Yeah. Huh. Um, So they have chromatophores in the skin that causes its color to change when the blue-ringed octopus is stressed. Similar mechanisms also can change the texture uh, of the skin, make it look more uh, rocky, kind of sandy. Like pebbly, sort of? Yeah. They give themselves acne, kind (laughs) of? Sort of. Um, So we talked about chromatophores a good bit in prior episodes. I think the cuttlefish episode was was one of them. So that's just the biologic mechanism that lets them change the color of their skin. Do their chromatophores work like in like cuttlefish and stuff where they're these pigmented cells that just like expand and contract at different sort of densities? I think so. I didn't dig too deep on this one. Okay. Yeah. I know that in other animals, that's like the the cell itself will have a certain color. And just if you want to like display more of that color, mm-hmm. you just inflate those cells more than the others. Right. Um, and it like creates the impression that the whole body is that color. Right. They can do it really quick too, can't yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah. So in this one, it's, it's a reaction to how it's feeling emotionally, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As a signal warning. Sure. Of the next topic I'm going to bring up. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> venom. Yes. So this is what they're primarily known for is their venom. And how, I was aware of this venom, but what I'm not aware of is the delivery mechanism. It's the saliva. The saliva. Yes. So its saliva is toxic and carries a neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin, mm. um, which paralyzes muscles, including those necessary for breathing particularly in humans. Those are really important ones. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's created by bacteria that are in their salivary glands. So is this like in their mouth? Yeah. So uh, when they're hunting, they'll they'll use their beak to kind of break through the hard shell of the things they like to eat, like crabs and stuff. And then the, the saliva just kind of trickles out of their mouth and into that open wound. Okay. Yeah. So it has to actually bite you then? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Interesting. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like you could just touch it and it would just like it secreted some sort of venom from its skin. There's this concept that they might disperse it into the water around them, oh. but there's still some research going on about that. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's, it mostly just has to bite you though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something about that though is, you know, they're so small, uh, a human might not even notice that something like this has bitten them. Or is it on them, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. the water is murky or something. Sure. But the beak of it, like you said, it's like in the middle of it, right? Right. So it has to have like the whole thing like right on you. It can't be like a little tip of a yeah, tentacle. It's not, yeah, it's not like it's just tapping you with the end of a tentacle or something. Yeah. So, so similar to the jellyfish, right? There's the opposite of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these guys actually hold the title of most venomous cephalopod with the Guinness World Records. With an LD50 value of 80 to 140 micrograms per kilogram, which puts it in the same ballpark as some of the world's most venomous snakes. Wow. So we talked about how one measures toxicity. The LD50 means lethal dose. It is the the lethal dose described in quantity of toxin per mass of specimen at which 50% of test subjects will die. So the amount that it would take to kill half of the sampled yes. mice. Yes, because this is usually performed on mice. Um, and then also in different delivery mechanisms, uh, subcutaneous, intravenous, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I always find that interesting. Yeah. Do you know if one has ever killed a human? I think so. I didn't actually look it up. That seems to be the implication, though. If you're listening and you've been killed by a blue ringed octopus, <laughs> please reach out. At me on ghost Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> they are immune to their own venom. However, there is no anti-venom. Um, also, the saliva partially digests their prey when they do bite things that they're trying to eat. That's helpful. Yep. It's multi-purpose. It's functional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to the next kind of points here on effectiveness. So they can squeeze into tight spaces like other octopuses. No bones, baby. None. Basically, they can squeeze through anything that they can fit their eyes and beak through. It's like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they say if a cat can fit its head through. Sure. And like the rest of it can fit. Yeah. <laughs> but this leads to some very interesting situations where they'll squeeze through what you would think would be impossibly small things for them to get through. Mm. Uh, they, uh, there's a good video out there of a fishing ship and a, a large, I think, Pacific giant octopus. Is that what they're called? Mm, Something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Where they, they caught one of those and it's big and it's squeezing through this tiny hole in the ship to, to get out. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to watch videos of octopus in aquariums where they'll give them like enrichment. Well, they'll take like a, like a bottle with a really, really tiny opening and put mm. a little treat or something inside of the bottle yeah. and see how long it takes the octopus to get inside of it. It's like like a non-Newtonian. <laughs> like the Octopus are like their own state of matter. Yeah, it's interesting. Speaking of, their diet is small crabs, shrimp, and sometimes small fish when they have the opportunity. I imagine whatever can fit in their beak, right? It's, I mean, because it's biting pieces off of whatever they're eating, right? Oh, sure. So they have to be able to catch it and envenomate it and bite chunks off of it. I've seen them sometimes like grab stuff with their tentacles and be like yes. pulling stuff towards their mouth. That's another thing I failed to mention. Their tentacles have suckers. So these little suckers that let them grab onto things real good. Uh, the thing I'm docking them for, though, is they have a greatly reduced ink sac. Oh, really? Yeah. Aww. So it seems by the time they're adults, they can't really do the whole spray ink thing. Sure. Lots of octopuses have the ability to spray ink in the water as a defense mechanism. Yeah, it makes like a murky cloud. Yeah, yeah. Then they can, it's like a smoke bomb. Basically, yeah. <laughs> but it seems like they've kind of taken another 
escape route, like a visual <laughs> sort of, you know, it's like a cue, you yeah. know, that's like, hey, mm-hmm. they got that aposomatic coloration that's like, you definitely don't want to touch me. So, you know, just pretend there's an ink cloud around us and we'll just go on about our business. <laughs> right. And moving on to our next category of ingenuity, I'm giving them an eight out of 10. So they're very intelligent. This is just something that octopuses are very well known for. Mm-hmm. It's just their relative intelligence. They're also ambush predators. And they are not aggressive towards humans. The incidents that do happen with humans usually occur when they're stepped on by accident or intentionally handled. Y'all don't do this. <laughs> Y'all stress me out every day. Every day you people stress me out. I was scrolling through TikTok and yeah. I saw a video of somebody with a blurring octopus that they were just like holding it on their hand and like hey guys look at this little dude i found on the beach yeah it's not good don't uh, do that because if it gets you it won't take long to you will no longer be able to breathe on your own (sighs) um so what i read says you know if you are very near medical attention and you know they're able to get you on a ventilator fairly quickly um and you survive 24 hours of being on a ventilator You'll probably be okay. Gosh, just don't do that, y'all. <laughs> but if you're not next to something that can force you to breathe, you're pretty much out Dun- of luck. Done for, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Don't pick up octopus. Like, we talk frequently about, like, leave wildlife alone. Like, don't handle wild animals. Really ever. Like, you really don't need to. Especially not this one. Especially not things that are brightly colored. And they're brightly colored. That is like a <laughs> cheat sheet of, like, just don't. Just go your own way about it. They might be, you know, lying, but... That's not something I want to test. No. (laughs) That is an insight check. I don't want to fail. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Oh, they decorate the outside of their homes. Do they really? In a way. In a way? The empty shells of their prey. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you'll kind of be able to identify their little hidey holes in these environments because they have a little collection of empty crab shells and stuff around like a hole in the... That is incredibly brutal. <laughs> the skeletons of their defeated enemies strewn about their It's home. basically the dragon lair of the beach. It is. <laughs> like, you know, you hear stories of like Vikings and stuff that like impaled the like skulls of their defeated enemies yeah. and stuff around their like camps and stuff yeah. to be like, hey, don't mess with me. <laughs> there you go, man. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But if it's their prey and it's like the the skeletons of the animals they've eaten, that would kind of be like if we just like put like a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> <laughs> if we just had like a string of chicken bones. Assuming I didn't hashtag eat the bones. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who still talks about that. <laughs> You're the one person on this planet left still quoting that commercial from like 10 years ago. I'm going to get a cease and desist from KFC. <laughs> Listen, we want that in the past. Please stop bringing it up. We've grown. We've moved on. We'd like for you to move on as well. This is no longer our brand. Please play our dating simulator. Please play one of our many dating simulators. Anyway, aesthetics, I'm giving a full 10 out of 10. Uh, the electric blue circles, that's about all I have to say. Uh, they can be as large as eight millimeters or 0.3 inches in diameter, and they become iridescent when the octopus is stressed. You know, we love iridescent. Yes. But it's, it's just furthering that idea of, (laughs) I'm dangerous and now I'm mad. (laughs) That's a bad combination. (laughs) 
that when the colors really are like going, you, they just have such a bright, bright mm-hmm. yellow and blue. And it's like the high contrast. Mm-hmm. And also just the shapes are so, it's like psychedelic. Yeah, it's good. And plus the, like just the octopus is already cute. Like that's already a very nice looking animal. Yeah. And then you just slap on like a really great pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm, flawless. It's good stuff. Love to see it. Yeah. And uh, octopus in general have interesting reproductive rituals the female will lay eggs lots and lots of eggs uh, and then those eggs will hatch into itty bitty teeny almost larva baby octopuses and at that stage they're just free floating in the ocean and eventually they get big enough to where they'll sink towards the bottom and then they'll start do their thing i've seen photos of like larval stage octopus oh my god they're so cute <laughs> it looks like a little ring pop doesn't it <laughs> it's, cute. it's got the little head oh my yeah. gosh they're so good and then finally, for conservation information, uh, they are of least concern, actually. We're not worried about them. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing great. <laughs> not for that reason, at least. They're doing their own thing. <laughs> There's nothing we can do to help them. <laughs> uh, danger from TikTok. Yeah, I get it. You want to go out, you want to go like tide pooling and go like see all the cool stuff you can find in the ocean yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. But like you can do that without picking stuff up or like handling wildlife unnecessarily, you right, know? Um, right. Especially if you don't 100% know what it is you're picking up. Because I've also seen videos of people picking up the blue glaucus, um, the nudibranch that oh, yeah. has extremely powerful venom that's like venom stolen from Portuguese man of war. Yeah. Um, it could sting you with portuguese man of war venom and you're just like fiddling with it in your hands like just like leave them in the water and you won't have to worry about it i don't know what else to say (laughs) don't handle wildlife (laughs) and you know not only for your benefit but for the animal too right like you don't want to stress animals out unnecessarily just let them do their thing take a nice picture from really far away if you see an octopus with blue rings on it maybe don't even bother taking the picture maybe just go (laughs) maybe just leave i mean i would be comfortable because you know we're talking tide you know stand on a rock take Mm -hmm. a picture from outside the water yeah you're within a couple feet safe no need to pick it up (laughs) yeah don't pick it up if listening to this podcast has taught you one thing today if you come away from this with one piece of information it's just don't don't pick them up (laughs) yeah do you think that the georgia aquarium will ever have a uh an encounter for the blue ring octopus where you get to boop their nose and touch their little paw (laughs) i don't think they even have anything anatomically I guess analogous to a nose. <laughs> Can't even boop. The- <laughs> What's the opposite of booping? The just don't. <laughs> the, the no touch pond area. <laughs> so yeah, that's my eight-legged friend thank you this was great (laughs) i'm so glad we finally got around to this one these have been the two most persistently requested animals particularly in our facebook group so yes thank you friends we decided we're nearing episode 100 we wanted to kind of give back Caving to your demands. <laughs> You're welcome. You're all welcome. We do love you, though. You can stop asking about it now. <laughs> we do love you, though. That is everything that we had for today. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Leave us a review if you liked what you heard on whatever platform you're listening on, like iTunes or Podchaser or some of the other ones that have review functions, I'm sure. Uh, Oh, yeah. I'm just now realizing that maybe things like Spotify don't really have that, do they? No, Spotify doesn't have reviews yet. Um, But Podchaser does. We're on there and iTunes and some other ones, I'm sure. 
come hang out with us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We have a fun group that is particularly enthusiastic about these two animals in particular. So uh, this episode was a love letter to our Facebook group. Thanks, y'all. Our theme music is by Louis Zong. It's called Adventuring. It's a really nice track. And we, we're thankful every day to Louis Zong who allows us to use it. It's a complete bop. Yes, thank you so much. Absolute straight banger. Hot fire. <laughs> and that's all. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, Christian. Mm. Always great to hear from you in your relaxing, beautiful voice. Oh, thank you, baby. I love you. I love you. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye.